Democrats get locked in a cage match by CNN. Another mass shooting and Joni Ernst taking NRA handouts. Kim Reynolds is the worst yet again. And the sound of progress. What a week. I'm Matt Sinovic, the executive director of Progress Iowa. I'm Lauren McElmeal, the Digital Director for Progress Iowa. Welcome to What a Week, where we break down the week's top stories. We have a lot to talk about this week, so let's get started with the Democratic debates. Matt, did you watch the debates last night? I did. I watched both uh, both nights, comp- uh, start to finish. Um, I, I, I think if you did too, I assume you did. Were, That's why I asked the question. Yeah, right. I know. Um, we're, we're one of the very, or some of the very few people who probably watched the entire thing. Um, it was very long. Someone told me, or, or, or someone told me that it was longer last night on Thursday, on uh, Wednesday night, than the runtime of Saving Private Ryan, which it's hard to believe, but not really. I I can see that with yeah. commercial breaks and everything. It started at seven, went till about nine thirty mm-hmm. Central Time. Yeah, epically long. Very long. Um. um, one of the things that stood out to me was the opening for the CNN debates set it up in kind of a ESPN WrestleMania cage match kind of feel. And I feel like that really plays into this idea that people, unlike ourselves who are not political, uh, in the political sphere every day, who think of politics as a game that they can tune in and out of as uh as necessary does that did you feel similarly about that yeah i mean it definitely set it up to to be more of a game uh like you're like you're tuning into the super bowl or something like that where the the introductions and the music and the the all the the staging of it was seemed to be as if not more important than the content um and i think if they had in my opinion if they had shifted from that introduction to a really kind of freewheeling, substantive discussion of of issues and letting people have a lot of back and forth, then uh, it would have helped push that thought out of my head. But that's really not what happened. I think also the format of how the questions were asked and the the amount of time you were given for rebuttal or uh, response really led to more squabble. I'm sorry, Lauren, your time's up. Is that what you mean? Is that your time's up? No, I was talking more about... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was sorry, talking more about... I was trying to make a, uh, make a point there about Jake Tapper. Yeah. I was thinking more about the squabbling that it engendered within the, uh, the people that you had this much time to make your point. And if you are a candidate who's on the outer rim area... You only have that 30 seconds to really make your pitch, and the best way to do that is to possibly go after people. Yeah, and it, unfortunately, it seemed it, it plays into their mentality of like that's what that's what they want, or that's what CNN or yeah, it's a ratings well, game. It totally is, and and it doesn't lend itself to. I mean, it often doesn't lend itself to a good discussion of how this how these issues are going to impact people's lives and and i think if you're the democratic party or the republican party that's i mean you that's what you should want to have come out of these debates not just who scored the most points or who 
was able to I mean, I you see some of these analysis of the or, or uh, uh, recaps of the debate and it's and it's, you know, who was able to punch above their weight or it's all couched in these phrases that it's like a boxing match. And that's oh, definitely. And and that's just that's just a shame. Um, so, I mean, what w- what was your take on like if you were someone who wasn't politically involved, like you said, like what would you what would you take away from that? I mean, if I wasn't politically involved, I probably wouldn't have watched it because it's, Jul- well, it was July. And would, I wouldn't have, I would have thought it's too early. There's there's going to be so many people that drop out. And I have other things to worry about in my life, and I'm not going to tune in. I've got friends who have asked me what I think of the current political climate. And if this election's going to be, you know, calm enough to tune into like it's an episode of the bachelor. <laughs> um, and I mean, we all live for messy, dramatic things and we like a good story, a regs to riches story, or we like a narrative and that's how these, these moments take off, but they're not good for substantive policy debates that are really what, we need because we are ceding so much ground to this reality show presidency where we now have to fight in on his turf and that's not how we should take that uh, this space back yeah i wonder how do you think so i agree with you completely about the reality show presidency but there's also a need for like if it it is you know the debate was in july 16 months whatever it is before the the election next year um basically a year and a half out and so to get someone who maybe you want to have participate in the process tune in how do you get them to do that when they're used to when they have all these other options when they have you know real you know it's paired up against reality tv it or was up against the bachelorette right on, on mon on not monday on, on tuesday. tuesday right um so when it's paired up against that or against any number of other things that they could be watching or doing how do we how do we do that i don't have an answer for that i think the conundrum that cnn or msnbc or any of these channels that are airing the debate these debates are is how do they connect these issues of these candidates to people when they need to drive up ratings too. And one thing I know we've talked about is that, you know, there were a lot of issues that were left off the table. Um, I know, I mean, so, I mean, we, we, we rattled them off or, uh, as we were talking about this earlier, but I know, I, I know you wanted to talk about some of those, but like what, I mean, what sort of struck you as the most absent from these two nights of debate? I mean, that not a single, qu- obviously the CNN, uh, moderators get to pick these questions but not a single mention of reproductive justice especially after we've had a year three years basically full of conservative anti-choice abortion bans and even just in iowa we had we've had um sex ed funding pulled the title nine funding is under attacks and all of these features of Donald Trump's administration that are meant to uh, appease his base, but are actually healthcare decisions that are not something that the government should be impinging upon. And so to not have a single question through 
six hours of debate about an issue that affects near nearly to over 50 percent of the american population is outrageous yeah i mean it's and it's not like that like you said it's not like that hasn't been part of the news and part of what's been going on this year and and part of the attacks that have been put forward by the trump administration so there's really no excuse for that not to be for that to be part of part of the debate and i, I something else that that we saw that um that was that's related to that issue because it comes up so much in the courts is that there ha- there has not really been much discussion I-, I don't believe in the first round of debates so definitely not in the la- in this week's two debates about uh, judicial appointments and um, and anybody who uh, I think Mayor Pete talked about it a little bit in the sense that he talked about he wanted to reform the courts, but that Kirsten was. Kristen Gillibrand put out a plan bring, that her that all of her judges would have to agree that Roe v. Wade is settled law. Was that during the debate though? I'm just saying it wasn't part of the debate discussion. No. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the, I mean, but if you don't have a plan for how you're going to navigate your policy proposals through the courts and the y- Senate. Yeah, and the Senate, you don't have a plan. I mean, not to pick on anyone in particular, but like Governor Inslee is the climate change, you know, candidate. And if he puts forward a plan to and and actually gets it passed, let's say he's elected and he gets a plan passed on uh, climate change uh, that has to regulate the fossil fuel industry, they're certainly going to challenge it in the courts. And there's a 5-4 conservative majority. So they all need to have plans for how they're going to deal with that. And they're, and the debates need to talk about it. And they unfortunately didn't. That's just such a glaring, um, a glaring omission, I think. Especially since the Republican Party has made that such a centerpiece of their policies for the going back decades when uh, – they joined up with the anti-choice kind mm-hmm. of wing of the party. And that's how we got to our current iteration of the Supreme Court right now, where we had Kavanaugh and Gorsuch both getting uh, appointed, I forgot the word, appointed to the bench um, because of their opinions about Roe v. Wade. Yeah, and and, and handpicked by uh, right-wing groups. I mean, that, that list that Trump cited when he was running for office that's where he got his not that's where he got um his nominees and 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 it's where he would uh you know hopefully not hopefully this doesn't happen but that's where he would get the next one so he's outsourced it all to to right-wing uh uh, extremists and so that's that is you're right It's it's a product of the last several decades of that movement building strength and we have nothing like that we're not even talking about it we're not even playing we're not even but not even pushing the issue in a national forum or in a national debate. And, and so we, we automa- I feel like we automatically lose when we do that. And not just the Supreme Court, but federal, the mm. federal bench that affects decisions that we see now with the, the Affordable Care Act and also with we have the federal courthouse right here in Des Moines. Decisions that get handed down by these Trump appointees are going to have real consequences for Iowans and for people across the country. Yeah, and in most cases, they end up making the law because the Supreme Court takes so few cases every year that the lower courts, their decision often just stands. And so the more Trump judges get put forward and get confirmed, which Mitch McConnell is 
just steamrolling them through, um, we, you know, it, it's just going to get worse and worse until we have a Democratic president who can start putting those nominees for. But that's only going to happen if they have a plan to do it. But there was no discussion of it during the debates. So, no. so here's our call for the next debate. Talk about reproductive justice. Talk about the courts. Talk about a lot of issues that that um, that impact people's lives that that haven't merited attention for whatever reason. One more issue I thought was a pretty glaring omission in light of all of the the problems that have been put forth by the Trump administration, such as the trans military ban a couple of years ago, and also just the sheer amount of people in the trans community who have been killed and face violence and homelessness and all of these other terrible things because there is not support for them from the government and even within just the larger lgbtq community they're not getting the support or the protections that they need to be successful to be equal to everyone else in society well here's hoping that and all of these issues get more airtime in the next debate this fall this week there was another mass shooting this time in at the gilroy garlic festival in california and the gun in question used was purchased from nevada which has far less stringent uh gun control laws than california does which leads into a bigger problem about how this patchwork of laws from states is making all of us less safe that you're only really as safe as the closest state that has weaker gun laws than you do. What are your What are your thoughts on this? Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's the latest example of of NRA influence and 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 right wing influence all across the country, influencing a variety of states so that they can so that they can sell their product. I mean, it's I saw. Um, uh, one comment online that that if if the gun industry was regulated or could be taken or held accountable in courts like the tobacco industry, gun manufacturers would be um, would be doing their own implementation of of safety procedures and whatnot. But they can't; they're not they're not able to be held liable in court um, as strongly as tobacco companies. Um, I mean, we have we have. I just don't. I just don't know what the heck it's going to take for real action to happen on this issue. I mean, you have shooting after shooting after shooting, and until um, until some of these people are voted out, like Senator Ernst, who we have right here, who's just taking, who's going to continue to take money hand over fist from the NRA and and gun and the gun, uh, gun industry. Um, I, I'm not sure what is going to happen. It's it's it's. It's a little bit numbing to see yet another shooting. Uh, I think there was a six-year-old uh, who was killed in this or, or shot in this, sh and and it's just. I mean, I have a two-year-old who goes to daycare three days a week, and because of a decision by Governor Reynolds, we're not allowed to know whether there's a gun in that facility. Um, parents don't have a right to know. I mean, there's little things like that that just you read about or hear about, and it hits home because you just don't. I, it's just one tragedy after another. I do not know what it's going to take for something to, to, to move on this issue. I mean, and I think in Iowa, we have historically had pretty safe guns, 
gun laws and we've been fairly safe from gun violence in Iowa. But just because we are doing fine, there's states around us like Nebraska and Illinois and Minnesota that are, because it is easier to buy a gun in Iowa that are being trafficked to other states, 2,700 guns were trafficked to other states between 2010 and 2016 that were first purchased in Iowa. And there's always the discussion about how, well, Illinois has has better gun, has safer gun laws, more stringent gun laws. How are all of these shootings happening? It's because they get guns from Indiana, which is the closest, weakest, one of the weakest uh, gun safety uh, states, or they, they come, and then they bring them to Illinois, or they get them from Iowa, yeah. take them to Illinois, they get them from Iowa, take them to Nebraska. All of these patchwork, this entire patchwork of gun laws, we need federal action if we're going to fix this terrible amount of there's so many loopholes and cracks that people can fall through and if there's not a national federal action on this it's going to continue to be bad yeah i and it it really will take that uh federal legislation because like you said someone could buy a gun steal a gun drive it across state lines just like they did with the the shooting this week in california um uh, the, and but there is there are things that the state can do uh, without even coming close to uh, impinging on someone's Second Amendment right, which, um, uh, for example, there's a gun theft on average every five hours in the state. But if your gun is stolen, you don't have to you're not required to tell anybody. And something that would be an easy fix is for is for those uh, uh those thefts to be mandatory, uh, you know, have it be mandatory that they get reported. Um, and so that, that's something that happens really regularly and a legally purchased gun could then be stolen. And like you said, transported across state lines or used in some sort of criminal activity. Um, but there's no, no requirement that they report it to police. And so, um, that alone I think should be done and along with many other things, but, um, there's very simple, simple legislative solutions that, that could be done at a state level. It really is going to require federal a- action, like you said. But I-, I-, I hope that people take notice that Joni Ernst is just still taking gobs of cash from the NRA and other gun uh, gun industry folks to to fund her campaign. Joni Ernst is also working currently on the Violence Against Women Act and has so far not been willing to include any sort of gun restrictions in those, despite the fact that. From 2007 to 2016, at least 43% of Iowa's domestic violence gun ho- gun homicides of women were with long guns. And I think as someone who says that she's committed to keeping communities safe and all that domestic violence definitely needs to be a part of the conversation and then guns need to be a part of that conversation as well. Yeah, and then those are the guns that are, are uh, able, you can buy them at, at gun shows or from uh, you can buy them personally. You don't have to go through a, a store or whatever. And so private or private sales, what I mean. Um, and those aren't subject to background checks is the biggest loophole. And those are the ones, like you said, being used for used in domestic violence cases. And, and, and that's, um, that has to stop. There's also a racial ang- angle to this too, because black people make up 4% of Iowa's population, but account for 31% of its gun homicide victims. And, 
community shootings are definitely one of the less talked about aspects of gun violence and gun control and I don't necessarily have any really good solutions off the top of my head but there are a lot of people who have made who have done a lot of great work in getting these guns off the streets and working to de-escalate situations peacefully. Yeah, and I think the point is that there's no there because there's just not even a discussion happening at the federal level or at the state or level the state on, or level. this right on this that that none of those solutions are coming forward and and a big part of that reason is because we have politicians who are bought and paid for by by the NRA. This week, Kim Reynolds is the worst yet again. Um, uh, up next, we have two stories this week that we want to just update everybody on. We've been talking a lot about uh, uh, Jerry Foxhoven, who ran our state's Medicaid program, or the privatized version of our state's medic once very good Medicaid program that has been flushed down the toilet by Governor Brand said now Governor Reynolds. But He's also a big Tupac fan. He is a big Tupac fan. Um, happy Tupac Friday to everyone. You can still go to TupacFriday.com for Progress Iowa's playlist. Um, but he said he is the victim of whistleblower retaliation now. And that's the latest in this story. And he's going to be suing the governor. Uh, Lauren, do you think he's got a shot in court? Weirder things have happened. Um, that is true. Um, I, I think... Uh, I, I, it will be very interesting to see how this plays out and what sort of receipts he has kept um, from whatever communication he had from the governor, her staff, um, and how that all went, how his firing actually went down. I think this is probably the last thing that they wanted to see happen is for Foxhoven to go to go after them in a court of law where they can actually produce some of the emails, communications, sworn testimony whatever the resources you know whatever the whatever the documentation is of what happened and why he was fired i left my legal analyst cap at home okay fair <laughs> enough um the the next place where governor reynolds is the worst is on the uh, chris godfrey case uh, if you remember in the last few weeks um the uh, a jury found that governor brandstad uh, uh, did discriminate against against Godfrey, issued a uh, uh, or found a $1.5 million verdict for him. Um, shockingly, but not so much, um, the the state is, is appealing that decision. But they're not just appealing it. They are calling Godfrey's lawsuit, which a jury agreed with uh, and upheld and ruled that he was owed $1.5 million because Branstad discriminated against him. But they, they're saying that this lawsuit was a charade and a political circus. Um, I don't think you have the right to call anything a political circus if you are best buddies with Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I just, it's absurd. And and so the so they are appealing this decision, um, which is going to cost even more for our state and legal fees. Um, we've already spent millions on this case defending Brandstad's discriminatory behavior. Uh, Reynolds administration seems gleefully going down that road and spending more of our tax dollars uh, um, on on this and and hopefully uh, uh, Mr. Godfrey gets his gets his uh, gets his due gets 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 this verdict paid out and um, and unfortunately we'll we'll fo- we'll probably end up footing the bill for that too. Finally, this week we are going to be talking about. 
Progress Iowa's new musical production. It's called The Sound of Progress. Uh, last year, we had several sold-out shows with our adaptation of Hamilton, which we called the Reynolds Pamphlet, after one of the songs in Hamilton, and of course, our own Governor Kim Reynolds. Um, this year's production, The Sound of Progress, uh, adapts music from Dear Evan Hansen, The Wiz, Les Miserables, Hamilton, The Color Purple. We have a great team that we've brought back, uh, Madison Ray, Ray Faring, and several of the performers from last year's Reynolds pamphlet are back again. The shows are August 8th and August 11th at the Stoner Theater in downtown Des Moines. You can get tickets at the Des Moines Performing Arts website or at progressiowa.org. Um, and also, uh, as, as was the case last year for the Reynolds pamphlet, um, uh, some of the lyrics were written by our own digital director, Lauren McElmeal. So I just want to ask you what that was like, uh, being able to adapt this music um, or the, these lyrics, not just this year, but last year, and to come up with the the, the idea um, uh, for Reynolds' pamphlet last year that has kind of spawned this this new uh, n- new way that Progress Iowa talks about political issues. I mean, I grew up doing theater from the time I was six until I was 18, so theater is a big part of what I've done my entire life, and I know so many of the songs that were that we've been adapting and I wrote the uh, version of the Les Miserables song Look Down and growing up listening to the Broadway cast recordings of all that I know all the words I know the the song the melody it made it very easy to adapt it because you can just hear the melody in your head and last year with Reynolds pamphlet I remember just making a flippant comment about well I mean Hamilton's coming to town. They've got a song called Reynolds Pamphlet, and our governor's name is Kim Reynolds. So what if we did, like, a song for that or something? And then it just became so much more, and I'm really excited that we've gotten to turn it into a multi-year thing. And I really hope it goes well because I like doing it. (laughs) Well, just be careful what you suggest around here, okay? Because... you know, we take all uh, take all all no ideas, ideas seriously. Are stupid. That's right. Uh, there are no, there's no such thing as a bad idea. Um, well, we'll look forward to the show next week, and 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 we'll uh, be hearing a, a little bit of the of the uh, of the rehearsal from Sound of Progress here in just a moment.
What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. For more information, visit potluck.fm. See you next week on What a Week.